Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yesterday on one of our shows, I said Bonnie D. in the house, and everybody thought it was charming, so I won't say it today. So here we are. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. We always say it, and we always mean it, because this is where the best run. Let's see what our topic is today. It's a complex problem. Problem. It's a complex issue. It's a complex challenge for businesses all over the world. We like to call it digital transformation. I found a quote from a global consulting firm headquartered in Munich, Germany, called Roland Berger. I think there was a person named Roland Berger who founded it years ago, but the firm is called Roland Berger. Let me read the quote. That'll set us up. Then I'll tell you a little bit more about where we're going to take this conversation today. So he or they say, There is no alternative to digital transformation. Visionary companies will carve out new strategic options for themselves. Those that don't adapt will fail. Oh, my. End of quote. That's enough doom saying. So what are we talking about? Business organizations are not only looking for new ways to use what we call enabling technologies. If you're scratching your head, you say, what's she talking about? Well, this is Internet of Things with Game Changers, so familiarly abbreviated as IoT. That's one of the enabling technologies. What about AI? Artificial intelligence. You all know about that. Machine learning, kind of a cousin to AI. Blockchain, these are known as enabling technologies. Put that in your vocabulary list. Companies are finding new ways to leverage them to support their products product development, and their go-to-market activities. But they're doing more. They're also partnering with companies they might not have considered collaborating with in the past. For example, enterprise software companies are partnering with cloud hyperscalers. We'll find out more about that from our panelists. Industrial equipment manufacturers are partnering with data science organizations. We know that industry lines are blurring. So this is what we're talking about. What's this all about? The pace of change in every industry has forced companies to focus on their core competency and their partners for a specific digital expertise. It all comes down to that. So I have three panelists, three experts on the show today are going to help us unpack this, as they say on the news, and figure out what it means to you. And I want to do a shout out to our listeners around the world. You have made this Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, one of our most popular series out of the 43 Game Changers series I've been producing and hosting since 2011. So thank you very much to all of you for being loyal listeners. Now let me tell you who my panelists are, and then I'm going to have them introduce themselves briefly so you know who they are, what they do, and why the topic is important to them. In a moment, you'll be hearing from Don Deloach. He spells his last name capital D, lower E, capital L-O-A-C-H. He's the CEO and co-founder of Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. We'll meet him in a minute. Joining us is also Chris Resendis, Chief Business Officer at Spherical Analytics and Context Labs, also new to the show. And joining us is the gentleman who helped put this topic together and introduced me to Don and Chris. It's Matt Jennings, Global VP, Intelligent Enterprise Solutions at SAP America. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Let's start with Don Deloach. Don, please take a minute and a half or so and tell us what you do and what is Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Don. Sure. Bonnie, thank you very much, and uh, thanks, everybody, for being on. Uh, I want to first say I I actually love this because I like uh, taking the time with with Matt and Chris, who are both people I know very well and respect immensely. So, this is fun for me. Uh, I've been really, really involved with IoT for the better part of the last decade. Uh, I've, I've run small venture-backed companies for about 20 years, um, and, and we started the Midwest IoT Council and uh, the Midwest IoT Summit back in 2013, the council in 2015. Uh, I've, I've been involved with IoT projects from a, from a data standpoint um, really, m- most of my most of my IoT career, if you will, starting back in about 2013, uh, I actually had the good fortune of authoring a book called "The Future of IoT." That's a focus of of uh, a focus on IoT architecture and the progression of the market into the cyber physical world, 
And I, I did that with a, a good friend, Emil Berthelsen at Gartner and Wiley Elarifi from uh, Hitachi. Uh, and so it, I, I joke that IoT is my, is my day job and it's my hobby, which I guess makes me pretty one-dimensional, but I'll, I'll own that because I really enjoy it. And uh, that has brought me really to this point. I, I've had a lot of uh, discussion over the years, both with Chris and Matt, and I think this is a topic I, I really, you know, it's my favorite topic, so I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much. We're delighted to have you. How did how did you come up with Rocket Wagon? Where does that come from, Don? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. The uh, Rocket Wagon <laughs> Venture Studios is the sister company of Rocket Wagon Labs. Rocket Wagon Labs is a digital transformation company, very, very high-end, uh, dealing with, with large corporations that recognize that they need help in, in embracing digital transformation. And I was approached by the, the CEO of Rocket Wagon Labs about forming Rocket Wagon Venture Studios as a mechanism to bring great ideas for cyber uh, physical transformation into the market and commercializing those. It, it's based on the Venture Studio model, which is a much, much more aggressive version of what people normally think of as uh, incubators or accelerators uh-huh. with, a, with a real fine bent on execution. So we started Rocket Wagon Venture Studios earlier this year, and it's going to be a, it's, it's a family of vertically aligned IoT-focused studios. Thank you very much. I'm thinking of something from the wild, wild west when I saw the name of your company. I'm sorry, Rocket Wagon. Is it, is it like the Jetsons version of, of the, the wagons, uh, the wagon trains, covered wagons? Uh, it, it's, it's like a bunch of super, super high-end engineers that will wrap themselves around entrepreneurs to build IoT solutions and IoT companies. Thank you very much. Great pictorial in my head about the name of the company. I'm still reeling from it. Excuse me. Chris Resendez, you're next at another interesting company, Spherical Analytics. I think I can pronounce that without getting tongue-tied, Chris, and Context Labs. Chris, please introduce yourself and just briefly tell us what your companies do. Thank you so much, Bonnie, and thanks to your mm-hmm. network of listeners and partners and participants. We are thrilled to be here. Thank you. It's an honor to be with Matt and the folks at SAP and clearly with Don Deloach and the folks at Rocket Wagon. Spherical Analytics and Contact Labs are sister companies that have built um, a software stack that is what you might call a stack of trust services. You feed data into our software, and our software effects a number of tests, if you will, to make sure that the source of the data, the data itself, and the math that people may be running against the data can be source attested, the data can be verified, the math can be authenticated. Think about um, a highly automated and AI-enabled peer review process that is more objective, more quantified than the human peer review process that exists in research and scientific communities. It's important today because in order for us, in order for business, risk, finance, innovators, policymakers, to make the best decisions possible at the pace at which they need to make them, with the risks inherent in making the wrong decisions, they need not just more data, but they need better data, sometimes broader data, and most often smaller data. And it comes from non-traditional or alternative sources that oftentimes aren't very well known to the people that need to consume the data to use it. That's our business. We help turn this new data or the less well-known data or sometimes the scary data or misunderstood data, we elevate it so it becomes what we call asset class data. The data is so well provenanced and pedigreed, you can trust it. It has its own intrinsic value beyond what the immediate application is. You can use this data multiple times across multiple stakeholder groups or ecosystems. And we arrive at a place in time where these IoT data sets that are coming in that Don is talking about oftentimes represent something we call ground truth, mm-hmm. a piece of data about some event that happened way out in the world can be really valuable inside a boardroom, but only if the folks in the boardroom and the people between them and the event that happened in the world can trust that data. So what we're trying to do is build this trust stack so that data from anywhere that should be trusted can be trusted and will be used. We do this in climate environment, natural resources environments. We do it in infrastructure. We do it with risk and finance entities. Any public or private entity that believes they need more and better data to make more and better decisions, we want to be there helping them. That's what we're up to. 
Thank you very much. I still love the name Spherical Analytics. I just like the way it trips on the tongue. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> Matt Jennings, welcome back. You've been working hard behind the scenes. I have to tell everybody we were kind of scratching our heads for what topic we wanted to do today. And I said to Dana Corder, who is a, a new intern working on this series at SAP, I said, why don't you go back and look for a really interesting episode we did a couple months ago and see if we can do a part two. And she came up with, let's talk to Matt Jennings. So I got involved and I said, Matt, what can we do to bring back a topic we did and maybe refresh it and pep it up a little bit and, and make it for today. And Matt said, sure, I'm on it. And here we are just about 10 days later with Chris and with Don. So Matt, I owe you a thank you for your work behind the scenes on this. We really appreciate your partnership and collaboration. So Matt, catch us up to date. What have you been up to? Yeah, Bonnie, thanks for having me. In fact, this is I'm a four-timer, so this is my fourth time uh, being you with you. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to be here. And, and Don I and Chris, thanks for, thanks for joining today. Uh, yeah, so uh, as things have evolved, I uh, have a global team positioned to really focus on enabling technologies to drive innovation with our customers, but with a very specific outcome. And so we're looking at, you know, business value-driven solutions uh, that have a uh, manageable and measurable impact uh, on the business. And we do that by applying Internet of Things technologies, AI, machine learning, blockchain, the things that you've that you've mentioned. Um, also, it's worth noting that we slight a little bit towards IoT, as, as Bonnie, as you know from the previous calls that we've had, uh, my first IoT device was in 2001. So we definitely have a perspective of how that has changed, how the economics have changed, how the impact on the businesses have changed, uh, how you can then introduce this IoT data and apply other technologies uh, to have it be more impactful on the business process changes that need to be applied as well. Uh, so I look forward to talking about that in the topics today in regards to how do you apply partners into those equations uh, to be successful. Thank you very much, and you're a perfectly wonderful example of partnerships and collaboration. So thank you again, Matt, and I already did my shout-out to Dana Corder. So let's go around the table. I always ask my guests to send me an interesting quote, inspirational, not specifically on the topic, and then we get to see how they related to the topic. So let's make this a, a fast two-minute-a-piece lightning round. Don DeLoach has sent us a quote from Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, James Earl Carter Jr., still with us, born in 1924. Hmm. Uh, he served as Georgia State Senator from 1963 to 67, 76th Governor of Georgia from 71-75, and he was U.S. 39th President from 77 to 81. And in 2002, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work in co-founding the Carter Center. Here's the quote. We must adjust to changing times and still hold to unchanging principles. I want to say amen, but I didn't say it. Don, relate this to our topic, please. Yeah, uh, it's super easy. Um, anybody who's read The Second Machine Age or, or, or just paid attention to the technology world understands that not only is it ever-changing, but the pace of change it, it continues to increase for lots of reasons. So there's an imperative to adapt, um, and, and I think that's pretty much understood by everybody. The, the idea of the unchanging principles, though, is that if you have to step back and say, why am I doing that? A, lo a lot of people want to do that to make money, and that's fine. That's prosperity. But it's also opportunity. It's equitability. It's happiness. It, it's creating a better world for ourselves and our children. And everybody has their own set of principles. For me, I think that those principles form the guideposts by which I make other decisions about what I do up to and including how we adapt to change. So I, I think the, the, the quote really kind of creates a framework for how do you live in these times but still stick to what you know is the right thing to be doing. Thank you very much. Love the quote. Words to live by. Chris Resendez has sent us a quote from James Baldwin. It's interesting. I was trying to research the provenance of the attribution, and I, I came up with exactly what you came up with, Chris. It's from As Much Truth As One Can Bear, book by James Baldwin in the New York Times Book Review in January 1962. James Baldwin, anybody doesn't know or remember James Arthur Baldwin, 1924 to 87, American novelist, playwright, and activist. His essays collected in Notes of a Native Son, 1955, explore the intricacies of racial, sexual, and class distinction, mostly in mid-20th century America. He's a very famous author, and you can look him up, James Baldwin. Here's the quote. Not everything that is faced can be changed, 
but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Beautiful quote. Chris, related to our topic, please. This is about finding the truth. And for us, at least for me and our team and our teams and the folks we work with, in many ways, the Internet of Things is about deploying sensors somewhere out in the world so that we can learn the truth about the existence Mm -hmm. of something, its location, its identity, its state, its status, um, its value, its production, its output. Said another way, instead of guessing or instead of hypothecating or abstracting or modeling or extrapolating, if we want to know something enough, we can buy or build a sensor, deploy the sensor, get the data, calibrate the data, provenance the data, and we can know. And an example of this would be today we have these, I I think, poorly understood and poorly, I think, managed uh, conflicts between, say, energy security and water security. We need energy security as a nation state, as an economy, as a policy for population health and more. We also need water security for all those same reasons. And yet there is conflict between pulling gas and oil out of the ground and pulling water out of the ground. In order for us to be able to manage both competing interests, energy security and water security, we need to know the truth about what happens to groundwater when we use it to pressurize wellheads to pull frack gas and shale oil out of the ground. I am not against frack gas shale oil. I'm also not against using that water. But we need to understand what the true costs are of our conservation policies and our exploration policies. And I don't think we can do it unless we have the facts or in other words, the truth, in this case, the ground truth that comes from sensors. We will not make better decisions about, for example, natural resource allocation or inclusion or regeneration or the most profitable use of our capital unless we have not big data necessarily, but the best data. So for us, what I think it means is when we have questions and we want answers, we have to go further than Google. And sometimes we have to go further than what's in front of us or available on the desk. We've got to go out in the field. And not just sample one time, once a month, once a quarter, once a year, but maybe invest in a new network of sensing and instrumentation that can tell us persistently what's going on. That's how I think it relates. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You got some picturesque descriptions in there and appreciate that, Chris. This is radio. Thank you. No slides. Matt Jennings is up next. Matt has sent us a quote. I think I heard this once before, Matt, from a gentleman named Halford Edward Luckock, L-U-C-C-O-C-K. His full name, well, he goes by H-E Luckock. And 1885 to 1960, a prominent American Methodist minister and professor of homiletics, I don't know what that is, at Yale Divinity School. He's most noted for his widely quoted statements in his sermon at the Riverside Church in New York City on September 11, 1938, called Keeping Life Out of Confusion. Here is the quote. No one can whistle a symphony. It takes a whole orchestra to play it. Matt Jennings, love the quote. Talk to me. Well, Bonnie, you know, as I was researching this topic and a little further and looking for a quote that I thought applied, I wanted to think through you know, how does it apply to the work that I've done uh, throughout my career in the last 20 or so years of focusing on IoT? And as I mentioned, in 2001, we really had to be our own symphony symphony, and try to organize all of those component pieces that we needed from sensors all the way to integration to the enterprise. And now I think what we see is this has become complex, but also very specific. We have to have certain knowledge and domain expertise uh, for example, the correct sensors, the correct communication protocols, uh, the correct network uh, topologies, those types of things. So now as you look at the data that moves, you know, there's sensors, there's gateways, there's communications protocols, network and transport, processing and storage, integration into the enterprise. Those become very specific, and you have to rely on either those who have that domain expertise or you have to find it yourself uh, within your organization, which is becoming I would say, more and more complex. And so as you look at that full end-to-end capability, that is truly the symphony uh, that you need to be able to play, and it takes partners to do that. It's a lovely quote. It's it's a quote that goes way beyond our topic. It's a quote for life, and thank you, Matt, for that. Let's get to know our panelists just a little bit more personally. Don DeLoach, I'm going to start with you. Where in the world are you today? We need a – I actually had a guest who told me he was in the um, – 
Western Hemisphere the other day, but he was in Italy and he added that. So that was fun. Uh, what hemisphere, continent, or country, or state are you in? And what's your favorite drink? Let's make this a real fast lightning round because I want to go to break early and then we'll come back and devote a lot of time to our roundtable. So, Don, talk to me. Yeah, I, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Chicago, uh, just north of Chicago today, uh, which is where I live. And my favorite drink is probably Lagunitas IPA. Thank you very much. Sounds good. Have a cold one after the show. Chris Resendez, where are you and what's your favorite drink? Today I'm in Kendall Square in Cambridge in eastern Massachusetts in the middle Mm. of about 7,500 startups and the folks at MIT. I drove up today from Buzzards Bay or the southern coast of Massachusetts uh, where I live in a little sailing village with my crew and where we also have our field station where we go out in the world and deploy sensors. So I'm in the east coast of Massachusetts. My favorite drink... I have so many, but I will say it has got to be the um, IP hay from Buzzards Bay Brewing in Westport, Massachusetts, made with local hay. It's an American IPA. Uh, comes in a bigger can, so it ticks all the boxes for me. Wow, very interesting. Never heard of that one before. What's the name again, Chris? It's called Buzzards Bay Brewing Company, owned and operated by the Russell family out in Westport, Massachusetts. They own a couple farms. They harvest some of the grains, and they throw them and mix them into these uh, to these different ales. And one of them is called, um, I think it's called uh, IP Hay. IP Hay. How clever is that? Uh, I'm going to have to mention that to my, my daughter and her husband just bought 44 rolling acres in Tennessee, and they don't know whether they're going to be able to use the hay for a cash crop once they retire there in a few years, and I might suggest, because my son-in-law loves beer, and I'm going to suggest maybe that instead of giving it to somebody to mow their lawn and letting them use the hay, maybe they could uh, make beer while the hay shines. Let's just leave it at that. Thank you, Chris. Matt Jennings, where are you today, and what do you love to drink? I am in Orlando, Florida today uh, ah. with, with some partners and some customers working on some opportunities. Um, and I would have to say that in the middle of the week, it's a fresh brewed cup of coffee, and I've moved on to the light roast brew uh, for the afternoon. Very nice. You put anything in that coffee or just you like it, uh, what we used to call high test? High test. <laughs> That's the way I like mine. I'm in Durham, North Carolina, recent transplant from Long Island, New York. I've been here oh, August 27th this year will be two years. So I'm I'm not saying two years yet. I'm getting used to the unbearably hot summers. We just finished a spell where it was over 100 degrees every day for about a week. Uh, we have wonderful storms that come up out of nowhere and actually blow people's umbrellas out of their steel posts in their backyards up over rooftops. And one of them landed in my front yard last week. Over two rooftops, it came out of the ground and up airborne and landed in my front door, outside my front door. Very interesting. Getting used to the temperature, New York was brutal in the summer, but nothing like this. And by the way, I'm not allowed, Scott knows this. I'm not allowed, Matt knows this. We had Scott on the last show. Matt knows I'm not allowed to have anything with caffeine and on a radio show day. And this is my second show today. So I'm just having a cool, clear mug of water. And I have one plastic straw. I tried to go to paper straws and I really don't like the taste or feel. So instead of making this disposable, I keep washing the plastic straw and it's doing me very, very well. If you're just tuning in, this is the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. If you're keeping track, this is Season 6, Episode 7. We are live. It is Wednesday, July 24, 2019. Shout out to Ira Burke at SAP, who is the sponsor of this wonderful series, and it has captivated people all over the world because it's our second most popular topic, vying for first place in all of our 43 series. So, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Don DeLo is going to start the roundtable in earnest. We have some interesting statements we're going to be pulling apart and going around the table. So, however you're listening, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. 
These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Here we are talking about a very important topic to businesses all over the world, digital transformation. You know that's a topic we talk about a lot, but we're talking today about the enabling technologies and new partnership models. What in the world does this mean to you? We're finding out from my three esteemed guests, Don Deloach at Rocket Wagon Venture Studios, Chris Rosendis at Spherical Analytics and Context Labs, and Matt Jennings at SAP. We're going to start the roundtable for real now, and Don and I had a little conversation off air during our break, and here's what he told me before the show and off air. He says, IoT, Internet of Things, is a holistic proposition where to get it right, you need a working knowledge of all elements in the architecture and how they interrelate. Please tell us more, Don, and then we will invite Chris and Matt to chime in. Go ahead. Sure. So if you think about it, if you look at an IoT architecture, like from a reference architecture standpoint, you have considerations across a number of elements. There's chipsets, power considerations, security considerations, privacy considerations, communications considerations, data ownership, data governance, which is a huge piece of the equation, and then edge processing, constituent considerations, cloud processing. And any one of these is important, but what what you have to understand in an IoT architecture is that a decision in any one of the elements has a ripple effect across the other. So I can I can say I'm going to deploy an environmental sensor that's probably going to be a small chipset, an ARM M3, M4, maybe even M0. And, and with that is going to come the idea that it's probably going to be battery operated. So you have power considerations. The security decision I make will affect that. So if I, if I try to select something that's going to have a rigorous handshake and require a lot of data, that's going to burn out the battery and that's going to affect my communications choices. So if you look at, if you look at the entirety of the elements it's very important to understand how they interrelate to one another. All of this is designed really to create the opportunity to, to um, create, enrich, cleanse, and ultimately propagate the best possible data set. And when you do that, you're actually considering, well, how do I get it to the right constituent in the right time in the right mm-hmm. way? And only then do I, do, do I look at the analytic considerations like machine learning, artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, investigative analytics, operational analytics, edge analytics, et cetera. And, and the idea is that you're going to separate the creation of the data from the consumption of the data to have a holistic architecture that is to the benefit of everyone. But you only get there by having a, a holistic view of what you're doing and how it all comes together. Thank you. Very oh, interesting. And by the way, yeah, go ahead. So the, the one thing I would add to that, I'm sorry, is no, okay. when you then think of it that way, you're pulling together people that are maybe focused only on privacy or focused on security or focused on the chipsets or, or the analytics stack. But that creates probably as much as anything I've ever seen. That creates an opportunity for partnerships that may not be so obvious in other parts of technology, but are almost a mandate because no one company generally is going to have all of this. And even if they do, it's still going to be pulling groups within their own company together. But the holistic nature drives those partnerships that might otherwise not be in consideration. Thank you. Great way of of wrapping that into our topic. I like that, Don. Chris Resendez, agree or disagree? You want to expand it? Two minutes. What do you have on your mind? 
I mostly agree, but I think there are some things that Don left out because he only had a couple minutes. I think the most important thing that Don and Matt both do in their domains, and the reason why I'm thrilled to be here is because neither of these guys and neither of their groups try to oversimplify what it means to design, build, procure, deploy, and maintain an IoT system. I think too many brands early on, 10, 12 years ago, perhaps some even less, tried to make IoT too easy to understand so that folks would just deploy, just deploy the sensors, just get it connected, send the data back to the cloud, we'll figure it out. I think that was a strategy that caused a number of companies to fail. I won't name those companies, but there are some companies that have had massive contractions generally or specific contractions in their IoT-related business units, primarily because I think whether it was social media or it was uh, consumer life cycles and technology or it was the street and these publicly traded companies needing to make things simple so that they could go faster, I think did a disservice to the true complex nature of the business and human relationships, the data relationships, the workflow relationships, the risk relationships, and ultimately the financial relationships. We're not talking about plug and play, slap and stick. What we're talking about is taking a deep breath and asking ourselves, of the things that I know or the things I don't know, what really matters? Where do I need to invest to get the best data to generate the best signal about something that I'm going to make serious decisions on? That isn't um, a three-month cycle for development, and it's certainly not a nine-month cycle for deployment. And at the same time, what we're asking folks to do is to trust us. Six, seven, eight years ago, we asked folks to trust us, just deploy it, get it to the cloud, we'll figure it out. That didn't work. Now what we're trying to do is regain some lost ground and have folks Mm -hmm. trust us, but we need to be careful to make it not too complicated because then we will have gone from oversimplified to too complex. And what I think you'll hear from Don and Matt soon is that their businesses specifically attack complexity and present and elegance in the components of their solutions that's more pragmatic. And so I agree with Don, but I think what he didn't have time to do is talk about how their focus and the focus of their investments is to try and take the things that are nitty-gritty, make them not go away, but handle them for people so that they can do the more complex work themselves. Hope that Thank makes you. That's great. Matt, why don't you chime in? We've got some interesting concepts on the table here, and this was one of the focuses you wanted when you wrote the abstract for the show for me about these unusual, I think, uh, I think Don used the term, non-obvious partnerships. What are your thoughts, Matt Jennings? Well, I think they're absolutely right. I think it's important to have critical partners who are well aware of these architectures and how they need to work and have deep expertise in that. I mean, from our perspective, uh, when you put an IoT solution together, it's for the data and you're impacting a business process. And so from a support and management standpoint, if that data does not arrive into an SAP backend system, SAP gets the call to say something's not correct, something's not working. And it could be for reasons why Don has explained is maybe the security, you know, requirements on that device that is feeding that sensor is using too much battery life and killing the battery. Something we have no control over, but something we need to look at the overall architecture and rely on our partners to drive the right discussion into their domain of expertise to make it part of our overall program. Uh, within the organization. And so as we look at that, it becomes more and more critical that you have very experienced and aware and knowledgeable partners uh, to help drive these solutions in the market for us because we're focused entirely on the enterprise side is how are we driving value out of putting these IoT solutions uh, in play in the market. Thank you very much. Let me go back to Don Deloach. Don, anything you want to add to what your two co-panelists just shared? Uh, Sure. And I'll try to be brief here, but... When you, when you saw IoT evolve into the market, it was basically most of the technology market migrated to the product makers. And so it was, I have a refrigerator, now I have an IoT-enabled specialty refrigerator for pharmaceuticals, or I have mm-hmm. a, an IoT-enabled garage door or whatever. And, and the idea was you put a sensor on a product, and then the, you take that data and you push it into the, the cloud that's operated by the product provider. And that was cool because I could now see on my iPhone, you know, that bay three in the industrial plant was left open or whatever. That's all well and good. And it's very understandable. But architecturally, it's a banking system in 1968. You're not separating the creation of the data from the consumption of the data. And by doing it that way, you are sub-optimizing to a massive level. And so people are starting to figure that out. and The architectures are becoming more evolved and that's changing 
but but the that evolution highlights all of these elements and all the complexity that that Chris accurately pointed to that that creates an opportunity and the opportunity is to take what is possible and bring it into the realm of what is practical. So if the imperative is to have a fully functioning holistic architecture, that's going to be more complex than what most people are really capable of doing. So the, the opportunity is to, is to boil that complexity into something that's accessible to the mainstream. You know, when you first, when cars first came out, if people bought a car, you also hired a chauffeur because the car was deemed too technologically demanding for the average person to operate. Um, I think back to, and I'm going to tie this back to SAP. Um, I worked for Sybase a long time ago, and um, and Sybase now was absorbed, was purchased by SAP in I think 2010. Um, There was a a company called Power Builder. Mitchell Kurtzman, good friend, uh, great guy. Power Builder was was basically uh, addressing the problem of. This computing technology was great, but it was too demanding. Everybody couldn't be a programmer. So with Power Builder or Visual Basic or things like that, you made everybody a programmer. And the idea with IoT is we have to address the opportunity of of delivering the complexity in a way that's removed from the average user so that more and more organizations in the world can take proper advantage of where we're going. And that, again, drives all kinds of partnerships as a result. Thank you very much. Very interesting topic. Um, let me go to something from Chris's notes. Chris, I know we've been talking about data, but I'm going to pick up on your first set of notes you sent me before the show. Let's do a dive into this a little more. You say data is more than the new oil or gold. And then you say trusted data is the oxygen of the enterprise. So let's talk about that in the context of what Don called the non-obvious partnerships that are coming from needing a broader base of knowledge than perhaps you have. And let's keep it very uh, high level, not specific to any company. So, Chris, could you talk to me about this? Sure. So, you hear often that phrase, data is the new oil or data is the new gold. And what we would say is this, is that one only needs to have one breach or to have made a significant investment on data that turns out to be bad um, or to arrive at the precipice of a decision with beautiful analytics, wonderful graphics, and three inches of data backing it up, but being unable to provide for the sourcing and the provenance and the pedigree of the data, one leaves the room without the capital, without the partnership. So Mm -hmm. what we'd say about this is the following. We think resilience is the killer app for these new digital transformations, not growth, not convenience, not productivity, not profitability, resilience, which embodies all of that. Stability, scalability, security, agility, the productivity and profitability, but also these new environmental, social governance goals, these ESG goals, these other things that we can do with our capital and our talent and our time that don't necessarily show up in a balance sheet. All of that bound up is resilience. In order to design and build a system, a digital system that can help you achieve that resilience, the operational gains, the financial gains, and the social or ESG or environmental gains, you need to bring the subject matter experts in from each of those domains because they will help you arrive at one of the most important things, materiality. Which data will matter? Which data Mm -hmm. will be what we call fulcrum data around which all kinds of decisions can be made because when this thing happens here, A, it triggers all of these other downstream effects, B through Z, and the connection between the two is the materiality. In order to determine the materiality, we need to get beyond the green shades, we need to get beyond the geeks, we need to get beyond the parachutes, and we almost have to return to the physical world subject matter experts who've been living in the physical world and understand the challenges and the limitations. And so what I'd wrap this up and say is that if we're going to be attacking these complex problems and investing in these complex systems to make them such that they can scale at margin and deliver results, we've got to make sure that we're inclusive for a reason, for the expertise, so that we can have the best decisions made by the best data that comes from the best architecture. I don't think, as both of these uh, gentlemen have said, that there's a single entity on the planet that can do that. You've got to collaborate, but again, not in a slap and stick or in a badge collecting process, but truly finding complementary subject matter experts, bring them to the table, ask the hard questions, build the hard system, and then I think we have chances to do the things we want to do. 
Thank you. Very. I think I t- detected a note of optimism in there, or at least hope in your voice. Um, um, yes, Chris. Let's go to Matt Jennings. Matt, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Well, I, I certainly agree. I think if you start to look at you know data being the, the the new oil, I would even take that a little bit further, and I would say you know with oil you can extract it, refine it, and consume it, but with data you can certainly extract it and consume it and refine it multiple ways, you know, multiple times. You can triangulate that data with other data uh, so it continues to be utilized and continues to live. I also think that, you know, when we talk about the partners and how we put these together, and and Don uh, was right, you know, it used to be let's just put a sensor in a refrigerator and and now let's go figure out what that solves for people. And I think it was was more of a, to use your earlier reference, it was more of the wild, wild west in regards Mm -hmm. to let's just go put a bunch of sensors on things and and call it IoT and, and think that we're going to be done. And it was a bit of a solution looking for a problem to solve. And what we've tried to do is now change that discussion. We've tried to bring the partners with us to change that discussion. So instead of looking at a total addressable market, say we sell millions of refrigerators and we're going to have these sensors, now we need to look at the total addressable problem that we're trying to solve. And then as we address those requirements, we bring that partner discussion with us that helps define the requirements for every stop that data makes along the way. And so that's how I see that it's changed and certainly changed our discussions uh, with the partners in that regard. Thank you. Let's go around the table to Don Deloach. Don, join us. Thoughts, please. Yeah, no, again, I I 100% agree with everything that's said. I think that I see it in the context of discussions around innovation where where there are um, companies that are focusing on specific domain-specific innovation, but but they are players in a larger ecosystem. So, you're seeing partnership. I'll, I'll take the mobility space where if you, it, when you think about mobility, most people think about the auto manufacturers and that's fine, but, but equal stakes in that, in that market are the, the component suppliers, insurance companies, communications companies, asset management companies. There are all kinds of players that are watching a market that is going through massive structural changes. Car ownership is going to go down. Uh, asset sharing is going to go up. Uh, there's going to be last mile considerations. There's going to be even things like, do the insurance companies write insurance for, for people or do they write insurance for the manufacturers? This, mm-hmm. this market is, is going to undergo massive change. That is going to bring together various partnerships that we wouldn't have really thought of you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, but now become obvious as you begin to look at digital transformation and some of the imperatives for, for keeping up and, and, and using this transformation to prosper as opposed to standing on the sidelines and getting killed as, it, as the wave, you know, crashes mm-hmm. over. Interesting. Bonnie, can I have um, a couple things here? Yeah, go ahead, please. So one of the world's largest reinsurance companies that focuses on risk, actuarials, bean counters, green shades, um, has gone and made a string of investments over the past two years, hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe, close, maybe over a billion dollars, on things like Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, where they bring in cryptographers, where they recruit nationally and internationally for leaders in cybersecurity so they can start to build new models, new actuarial tables that go far beyond anything that they've priced risk on before. Uh, a different reinsurance entity went and created another center of excellence around mechanical engineering so mm-hmm. that they could go and ask their business and industrial insurance customers for data from machines so that their own mechanical engineering talent could decide what was the real material data or material signal about the health and wellness of a machine so that that reinsurance company could start to create new insurance products for new machines that had been heretofore massive risk factors. And finally, another reinsurance entity, um, as recently as today, investing an undisclosed sum, likely hundreds of millions of dollars, in a third-generation ESG analytics firm. So here's the point. When we think about insurance or reinsurance entities, we think about state or orthogonal plotting businesses. We couldn't be more wrong. They're actually doing what we're talking about here. They're transforming with digital as an edge, and they're going far beyond most people's conception of what a risk insurance or reinsurance entity would be by understanding they've got to go to where the events happen, get good data about those events, and bring that asset class data into their actuarial tables 
so they can better manage existing risk and start to create new products for new risk management for new entities, whether it's the quantum enterprise in the Horn of Africa, the person working four or eight hours per week or per day instead of full-time, all the way up to probably what the folks at um, the new private interstellar businesses are doing. Every entity that has a liability is going to need this data, and companies such as risk and reinsurance and insurance entities aren't waiting. They're going and getting the data. They're getting the expertise. They're building these centers of excellence, and I think it's an awesome example of how our conception of business, quote-unquote, probably needs to be shaken up a little bit. Thank you very much. Yes, the time has come for shaking it up. And speaking of that, uh, we just have time to squeeze in one topic from Matt, but probably not to go around the table. So, Matt Jennings, I'm looking at the second statement you sent me before the show, and you say partnership models have evolved to include partners that have traditionally been competitors. And I believe on one of our shows last year, we talked about the co-petition rather than competition, collaborating, co-creating, co-innovating, co-petitors. Can you just speak briefly to this, and then I'll give Don and Chris a warning that we're getting ready for our crystal ball prediction round, and I'm going to have to keep us all to 60 seconds apiece when we get there in a few minutes. So Don and Chris, you can start getting thinking about that. But Matt, talk to me about these traditional competitors becoming partners. How well is this working? Well, it's, it's, it's working mainly because it has to. Uh, I mean, if you look at our organization as an enterprise software company for the back-end systems in an organization or a Fortune 5000 company, uh, there are competitors of ours out there that compete with us for that enterprise space. Those same competitors have cloud platforms that our joint customers use, and we now have to work with our competitor to migrate data or some of our products onto their cloud platform. You have non-traditional players like the hyperscalers, who traditionally are not in enterprise, but maybe from a data storage perspective, but are reaching up the stack and getting into the enterprise space, forcing us, uh, our customers are forcing our hands to have those partnerships with them. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of these non-traditional partnerships come and evolve based on customer and market demand, as opposed to us wanting to resist that and own that full stack. Again, it comes back to uh, where is our expertise and where we want to be in the market? What is mm-hmm. their expertise? And bringing those two pieces together for the betterment of not only the market, but the customer opportunity. Matt, quick question before we go to Crystal Ball. Is there a resistance at upper levels of people who've been in a company for a long time saying, ah, there are competitors, I don't trust them. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea on paper, but we got to watch them. We don't want them to steal any of our intellectual property or anything like that. Are you seeing any of that or hearing any of that? Every day. Ah, thank I you. I think that is, um, that is one of the biggest resistances that we see, that there's a traditional way to go to market for some of those more mature and experienced individuals that have been around, and they want to stay in that lane, if you will. The challenge is the rest of the world moves faster because they're talking about those partnerships, and if we don't get into that game, uh, we won't move as fast as where the market is moving. Thank you very much. I, Matt knows I like a little reality check from time to time. It all sounds good, but let's talk about what real people are thinking. Don Deloach, you're up. I have exactly 60 seconds for you. I'm not going to clock you, but we got to stay tight here. We're almost done. Don Deloach at Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Look into the crystal ball. What do you see coming up the pike, down the road, whatever direction you're looking between now and 2025 for the future of these unusual, non I love that term, Don, non-obvious partnerships in business given the new technologies people need to thrive and survive and keep going. Go ahead, Don. Sure. I I think it's going to be that data ownership, data stewardship, data privacy, data governance collectively will become a mainstream consideration that will drive altogether new partnerships and better, more robust and thoughtful data delivery as a result. And and that, that more thoughtful data delivery will then be the fuel for analytics that will allow us to make better, faster, more thoughtful, and effective decisions. Thank you very much. I like that thoughtful decisions. I'm glad you put that human element in there. Chris Resendis, I've got 60 seconds for you. Go ahead, Chris. I think first and foremost, um, we'll see the leading businesses, leading enterprises, institutions on the planet will merge these uh, environment, social governance, ESG, or United Nations sustainable development goals. They'll become equal to GAAP, financial accounting, and industry KPIs or key performance indicators and operations, number one. The stuff that was soft and social will now become critical enablers for people to raise, deploy, and return capital, number one. Number two, data, right on. It's an asset. It's got to be distributed and decentralized. 
It lives somewhere between air and water. We all have to have clean air to breathe. We're sentient. As soon as we're sentient, we need nutrition. That's relationship or it's water. Somewhere in between those two is data as a right for people to own and access and control data. And third, absolutely agree with Matt. If we don't figure out how to collaborate with people that we don't understand, maybe, and this is across every demographic, every experience, every skill set, then we're not going to be able to get all the leverage that's possible when we collaborate. Those are my three crystal ball points for 2025. Thank you. Very, very well done. Matt Jennings, I saved, oh my goodness, you've got uh, 90 seconds because they were so brief and to the point. Matt, I'll give you a little extra because you did so much work behind the scenes to put the show together. Go ahead, Matt. Well, I think uh, I agree with what's been said here. I think data accuracy is going to become more important uh, for the enterprise as we start to share this data, not only within our environments, but externally uh, with those partners. Uh, that we trust. I also think, you know, you need to look at a very strong, consistent architecture across these partners to make sure that we're all playing by the same rules and understand the same requirements. And I think all of this has to support a business outcome that is beneficial to the business, enhance communication, increase revenue, extract cost, promote the brand. You know, those things have to be supported as these be- begin to be constructed. And, and you have the right partners to support that. So uh, data accuracy, consistent architectures uh, are vital. Thank you very much. Good roundtable, everybody. Thank you so much for being part of this. I appreciate all of the intelligent commentary we had around the table. Let's see. We've got – how much time do we have left, Aaron? Two minutes. So I'm just going to say, Matt, um, for you, if you were going to come back on this series later in the year, you have a hot topic you'd like to tell us about? What do you think? Well, I think we could we could shift this discussion and really talk about what are those business out- outcomes that we're seeing in the market? What are some of the best practices? What are some of the successes? Uh, what are some of the things that we should avoid that we've learned that, that just don't work? Uh, some of those topics, I think, would be quite compelling for your audience. I think so, too. I think I'm going to make sure you communicate with Dana Corder, who's working on the show now, uh, while Rue is out on maternity leave, and, and see if you can help her with some of these topics, because I think that what's working and what's not working, we could call it the top 10 top ten uh, success insider secrets or tips on uh, business success given enabling technologies and digital transformation. Do you like that very long title, Matt? I do. <laughs> I, I like it. Happy to help. Thank you very much. I want to thank everybody for listening again. Data Corda, you worked so hard on the show. And thank you. And Matt Jennings also talking about a partnership. The two of you work together. And thank you to Don and Chris. Uh, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, known as VoiceAmerica.com, the business channel. And here is my call to action. We're ready to close. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? You learned so much on the show today. Go out and use it. Go out and be a game changer. Just like Don DeLoach at Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. Just like Chris Resendez at Spherical Analytics and Context Labs. And of course, just like Matt Jennings at SAP. Signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 